I exude the essence of beauty, intelligence, and have the overall capability of achieving greatness. But what I can't wrap my sweet demeanor around is why and how something so delicious can be so disgusting to other people in this candy-coated universe. Through the candy factory we call life, chocolate beings share a similar mindset of love and hate and share the desperate yearning to belong and feel safe. What do we fear? Who do we fear? Maybe it's the fear of being boxed and wrapped up in foil only to amount to being devoured within seconds. Or maybe it's the feeling of almost being expired, destined to be thrown away if not appreciated. Am I appreciated? Am I valued? Well, all I know for certain is that I am legendary, I am delicious, I am invincible, I am black, and I am chocolate. Hello, hello, hello. What's going on? I'm Isaac, they, them, and welcome to Chocolate the Podcast, where we're going to dive into all things blackness, all things queerness, all things chocolatey. And what I mean in chocolate is uh, black experiences, no matter if it's in the US, but black experiences in general. We're here to create a space where we can talk freely and openly about kind of those controversial topics that you might have with your friends, you might have with your family. So yeah, I'm super happy that you're here. I don't know about you, but I am super excited that the sun is coming out. I have been so tired of this gloominess and this gray and this depressive, unmotivating state that happens when the winter goes for so long or even just winter in general. At first, it's fun. It's like, oh, let's watch Twilight and let's like, you know, watch the holiday over and over and over again. But if it goes on for like four or five months, then I can't. (laughs) So I'm excited to still watch the holiday, which is a great movie, but in the summer and in the sun. But fair warning, I am not good in the heat. I hate being hot. I get really angry. Speaking of sun and positivity, what makes you happy these days? That's a good question to ask ourselves and other people as the sun comes out. My answer, believe it or not, is sushi mayo. So I am super obsessed with sushi. I think I can eat sushi every single day, every minute of the day. I can even drink sushi if they made it into a smoothie, which sounds super gross as I'm saying that out loud. But I think I would. One part of the sushi I really like is the sauces. So I love soy sauce and like sometimes the chili flake sauce, like the sweet and sour sauce. But I'm obsessed with the sushi mayo. So in my love of sushi, I began making my own sushi and like poke bowls and baked sushi, but I was using like regular mayonnaise. And if you're not a fan of mayonnaise, you can just like skip ahead because I love I love mayonnaise. So for a while, I just used regular mayo, like mayo that you put in your sandwiches and stuff. And I just couldn't quite 
understand why my sushi that I was making tastes so different than the sushi that I would buy at restaurants and stuff pertaining to like the sauces. Like something was off. Well, I was in the Asian supermarket a couple of days ago. And as I was walking around buying my ramen, buying my seaweed, I noticed the whole mayo section. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, like it's just mayo. But then I discover a sushi mayo section. And it just clicked in my mind. I was like, I know I wasn't tripping. Like there is a different version of mayo that people put on their sushi. So I'm in pure joy and smiling. And people were probably just looking at me like I was some crazy person. But I was like really, really happy to see this. And then I saw the price for it. It was $8.99. Now, I had to like freeze time, like, like skirt. Was I or was I not going to buy this sushi mayo for $8.99? And you know what I did? I absolutely bought that $8.99 sushi mayo. And it was the best purchase I made in so long. I put it on chicken. I put it on my pepperoni pizzas. I'll put it on french fries. I'm addicted to sushi mayo. So as weird as it sounds, if you guys are near an Asian supermarket and you want to like experience what I experience all the time when I'm eating sushi, go to the mayo section and get yourself some sushi mayo because it's a game changer. And I'm super proud of myself that like I committed to that $8.99 purchase. Moving on from my love and joy of sushi mayo, let's get into the topic. So the topic today we are diving into is fear. Now we've all experienced what it means to be afraid of something or experienced fear. But today we will be diving into what black people fear and the nuances of that. So let's get into it. I cannot understand why black people who have been subjected to the ugliness that they've been subjected to in this country can get up every morning and go to work among us and not be absolutely furious. And I don't understand why we allow white people to behave the way they do. Black people are not afraid of white people. We're afraid of crazy white people. Now, let me try to explain. Things felt so dicey during the Trump years, I have joked that my husband and I might have to reenact that scene from The Sound of Music and flee the country. Yeah, life is difficult. And for Black people, it may feel like life can never be simple. See, a fear that Black people have is that racism and ignorance can pop up anywhere and everywhere, even when one least expects it. It is that anxiety surrounding racism that Black people face every single day. And I just want to point out, we must stop diminishing negative Black experiences to just the United States. Black people are not being respected, valued, and appreciated all around the world, even within Black spaces. So we have to remember that Blackness is a diaspora. So some fears that Black people may face can be, one, fear of perception, two, fear of rejection, 
And three, fear of instability. Let's start with fear of perception. Now, I think I don't have to explain police brutality and how governmental systems seem to want to keep people of color less than because you unfortunately should be familiar with the violent acts that happen to Black individuals in America and all around the world. We consume these violent acts against Black people on a daily basis through our television and phone screens. And the worst part about it is that many have become accustomed to seeing chocolate lives melt right in front of their very eyes. This is what many call trauma porn. See, we as Black people have been filming our injustice or fears for years. It didn't just start with George Floyd. Martin Luther King and many other activists around the world have spread protesting efforts of nonviolence and nonviolent communication. Through the resisting and standing strong against hate, we have used media in the past and present as a weapon to show others what truly happens to us. But as many people know, we have found that media can be manipulated or turned around. We have been consistently documenting what fears us the most, yet the media only wants to share depictions of when we are being feared, and not even when we're being celebrated, therefore pushing this threatening stereotype even more. Speaking of George Floyd, the perception that all Black men are dangerous and are criminals is absolutely crazy. Further, Black men have to face this criminal stereotype everywhere they go and has been passed down from generation to generation. White people have this fear that Black people, specifically Black men, are all thugs, gangsters, and are out to cause chaos in such a quote-unquote perfect world. But in reality, a minuscule small portion of the Black population chooses this negative path. But this, my friends, is due to racism. I mean, you cannot tell me after asking, begging, pleading nicely for centuries for respect as a human being, one wouldn't become frustrated, unmotivated, hurt, sad, defeated, and overall tired. Now, of course, I'm not giving an excuse to the happenings of this lifestyle. However, people, and I mean white communities, may have to dig deeper as to why the lifestyle is there in the first place. Like, whatever happened to that phrase, looks may be deceiving? Like, we see it in animated movies all the time. A scary, horrific, giant bear ends up being a cute, fragile, and timid teddy bear who just wants love and friendship by the end of the movie. I mean, let's be honest. A group of 12 cis, drunk white men mad about their football team losing a match outside of a bar sounds way more dangerous and scary than a black guy walking past you on a quiet, calm street. Yet the sight of a black man walking behind a white person sparks this fight or flight mode. I mean, seriously, come on. Black men are met with so much fear that at one point, Black men lean into that fear to survive. One may think, if they think nothing more of me than this, then what's the point of even trying to break that perception? I'd rather just be what they expect of me. And if you're Black and queer, Black and queer individuals may be viewed how they see every other quote-unquote Black man. White people just love to group us together in one pot of judgment. I mean, look, I am queer, semi-tall, slim depending on the day, 
Chocolate Bing walking around in a pink beret and heels on occasion. Do I look like I want to and need to rob or hurt you? You wouldn't even imagine how many times I have seen white people walk a bit faster in front of me or clutch their belongings at the sight of me. Me! Me of all people (laughs) walking calmly behind them. Dare I step foot in a Tommy Hilfiger or even a Zara without looking like one of the mannequins out of fear that Ashley working the register twitches her index finger as she dangles it on top of the security button. It's really insane and does not, I repeat, does not just happen in the States. So the fear of perception fuels and nurtures the idea that people and societies want certain communities to remain uncomfortable and hopeless. And this notion leads us to our second point, the fear of being rejected. The fear of rejection is basically the fear of not feeling good enough. We all feel this way one time or another throughout our lives. We can feel this through certain circles of friends, job opportunities, and even with goals we want to achieve. However, there is a fear of non-acceptance Black people endure in a deeper way. Black people can question, am I doing enough to fit in? Is it my fault I am not doing a better job of making people accept my Blackness? Black people have to constantly explain why we deserve to be in white spaces, through our actions, and even through speech and appearance. Black people have to constantly make sure white people are comfortable with their Blackness out of fear of rejection. Societies have been conditioned to question Black people's intelligence. Black people can't be too smart out of fear that we may hurt the white man's ego. So some may even take it a step further and begin to alter their appearance, their beliefs, their values, not to exude any part of their Blackness in order to truly be accepted in white spaces. We call this compromising one's Blackness. This may sound really, really freaking strange, but it's really true. But to be honest, I don't blame them, though, when a lot of black and white communication is filled with layers and layers of microaggressions. Microaggressions have been proven to hold black people back from truly being accepted as they individually are. Things like, you don't sound black. I thought you liked fried chicken. Oh, my God, you remind me of this rapper I love. Can I touch your hair? are highly inappropriate and rude to say. See, microaggressions are a form of rejection. All of these statements only keep Black people from truly succeeding. Because by asking some ignorant questions, it only continues to keep Black people in a certain box. And just for your information, microaggressions don't stop at the U.S. border. Oh, no, 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 no. They actually get even worse the minute you walk off of American soil. You know, it surprises me how confident some white people can be to just blurt out ignorant statements. It's like word vomit. They can't hold it back. You know, sometimes the age-old question of which place in the world is the most racist to black people feels like it can be summed up by a simple answer. All of them. Racism can feel like it's rooted deep in the Earth's crust. Also, keep in mind that fear of rejection doesn't just stop at Black experiences as teens and young adults and beyond. What about 
Black children. Societies inject fear into Black and brown children that they will have to grow up and prepare for the racial war zone that they have no choice but to face. Black parents may even have to lie to their children to cheer them up in order to comfort them, muttering the words, oh, everything's going to be all right, knowing what their future may bring. Oh, and please, please, please don't get me started with the rejection of being Black and queer. I mean, we will dive into Black queerness and the layers of this in future episodes, but Black queer people are instantly hit with rejection not only from white people, but from their own Black community. And it's important to note that fear is heightened when you don't feel safe within your own space. Black queer people are rejected from work opportunities, rejected from religion, rejected from queer spaces, rejected from the entertainment industry, rejected from society, rejected from family. I mean, the list can go on and on and on. But one fear that stands out is Black queer individuals' fear of love and receiving love. Love is a battle for queer people of color. When there is such a prominent space for white gay love, you can't help but to feel not worthy of love. I mean, we can sit here and lie and say that racism is not an issue even in the queer community. It is. And actually, it can feel a thousand times worse because if you feel rejected from the overall population, it sucks to feel even more rejected in spaces where you're supposed to feel safe and wanted. Black queer people have to combat stereotypes every single day. White people, especially white, gay men or not, are led to believe that Black queer people are disease-infused, loud, hypersexual beings who can't be trusted. And this just breaks my heart to say, but sadly, there is a lot of people that are afraid to say that they love their Black and queer partner publicly out of fear. I mean, think about it. What does that truly do to that person? Well, I'll tell you. It tells the Black and queer individual that they must constantly be guarded and kept in the shadows. It tells Black queer people that our love is not that important. To tell someone I love you, but I can't truly love you to the world out of fear of acceptance is not right. And no one should deserve that. And because of this, Black queer people have to be super, super independent, way more than others, queer or not. They have to teach themselves that they have no choice but to not rely on others or give all of them to people out of fear they will be taken advantage of or tossed aside when the time comes. Listeners, if you have to hide or publicly restrain or push away the one you love or feel like you can't live outwardly with the person that provides you care, safety, happiness, freedom, love then why are those spaces, careers, areas of living even desirable to you? How do you think that makes queer Black people feel? You keep them in this psychological loop of rejection. Intentionally or unintentionally, you are fueling that feeling of rejection of Black queer individuals that is so damaging for their self-worth. But anyway... Everyone has felt fear of rejection, the fear of feeling not capable of doing things. However, the difference for chocolate beings is that when you are told not only by people, but society and governmental systems, you aren't good enough, you actually start believing it. So there becomes a fear of letting the rejection get to you, which leads to our third point, 
the fear of instability. Black people are taught from a young age to push through all of that mud of negativity, for if you don't, you will suffocate and get left behind. It's the fear of expectations. So Black people aren't really taught to talk about their feelings. When we fall on the ground as a child and scrape our knees, we are met with something like, get up, shake it off, you're fine. And we're met with the same reaction when it comes to mental health and expressing our fears. Oh, but in the U.S., ooh, it must be so nice, (laughs) so nice. I mean, white people, especially white men, but white people get to wake up in the morning, stop by their local coffee shop to order their regular vanilla mint coconut strawberry latte, update their goals of the week in their laminated journals, leave work a little early because they don't want to get stuck in traffic, and create vision boards with their white friends over the annoying sounds of Coldplay. Oh my gosh, what a life. Yeah, for Black people, that's not happening. No, not at all. Although we still have the same amount of hours in the day, a huge part of the day is spent making sure we are still alive at the end of the day. But by now, you should know this. You should know that racism is a virus. Now, I know some listeners will feel defensive when listening to this podcast or even feel like I'm being way too dramatic. But would you still say my views are dramatic when you hear that in 2020, the CDC, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, reported that suicide was the third leading cause of death, respectively, for Blacks or African Americans ages 15 to 24? Let that sink in. See, fear is slowly killing Black people and shows that the mental burden of racism just becomes too much. So dare I ask, what do white people fear? White people, specifically white men, have a fear of losing control. As mentioned, black people are not afraid of white people. We are afraid of crazy white people. White anti-racist activist Jane Elliott is known for her blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment where she conducted an exercise with her all-white Christian third-grade class, nominating the children with brown eyes to be superior to children with blue eyes, to share how it feels to be other than white in America. This social experiment was done the day after Martin Luther King was assassinated. She concluded, as well as the students, that racism is a learned response. Therefore, White people are taught how to respect some and to not respect others in order to uphold their community to the top of the hierarchy. She also explains that when conducting the same exercise with adults, specifically white males, they responded in pure violence, threatening to kill her. Now, not all white people, but white people can often fear being uncomfortable when it comes to racism. They may feel that quiet non-racism is just enough and that being loud and outspoken about racial injustice will cause havoc. Also, white people might not want to break the status quo and be seen as confrontational when it comes to their white community. But what white people have to understand is that racism is binary, okay? Either you are racist or you're not. Simple as that. 
There is no, oh, well, maybe. No, 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 no. No in-betweens. White people need to not fear other white people for standing up for what is simply right. So white communities need to begin, nurture, and continue conversations with other white people about racism and stop coming to black people for the answers, period. Putting that blue-eyed, brown-eyed exercise to good use The biggest hope for not only Black people, but for people of color in general, is that white people, currently and furthermore, should begin to teach their white children the power of anti-racism, so that anti-racism becomes the norm for future generations. And white people, please have self-awareness for who you're actually complaining to about political and social matters. We all share common social concerns, for example, political concerns, climate change concerns, But Black people have further concerns. There are some white people who like to complain about how messed up the world is and love to tell Black people about it as if we don't already know. It's this, again, psychological manipulation that can happen unintentionally. Yet Black people are then having to comfort white people on their feelings surrounding the hardships of the world. As if their problems and uncomfortability about the topic are so much more important than the problem itself. It's really twisted and it happens a lot in my life, okay? So in conclusion to just this nuance of what Black people fear, Black people aren't asking for so much. Like, seriously. All we are asking for is equality. A natural born right. And when we ask for equality, it should be given, not rewarded or earned. Instead, we hear and see many excuses and reasons for why we can't have that. That, my friends, that right there is fear. For Black people, it's fear that we cannot and will not be able to get out of this bubble of racism. Sad to say, the worst part is that some people will listen to this and think I am being super, super dramatic and crazy and overall way too sensitive. Maybe even my own people might feel that way. So where does the fear start and where does it end? For Black people, fear can be a mental default. Fear is like that piercing iPhone alarm sound you hear every single morning you wake up. I mean, we wake up in fear, we go to sleep in fear, we ride public transportation in fear, we talk to white people in fear. We hate it. There's a lot of fear in our lives. However, it's a survival mechanism to react the way that we do sometimes. Black people, no matter where you live, wonder, is there going to be a day when we don't actually have to live in fear? Because I will be very, very frank. We are tired, so, so tired, so tired. Now it's time for Chocolate Music, where in this segment, I highlight one of my favorite Black music artists. And this episode, we are highlighting Choker. In 2017, Choker released a self-produced 10-track debut studio album, Peak. The following year, Choker released a 14-track R&B album, Honey Balloon, which contained elements from rap, pop, and soul. Choker has over 45 million streams on Spotify. 
In 2019, he released three EPs, Mono No Mato, a three-track set, followed by Dog Candy and Forever in a Few. Choker has toured across Europe, the United States, and Canada. So we are highlighting Choker, and whenever you have a chance, please listen to them. I have been so obsessed with them. Their melodies and just approach to music is so abstract. Go ahead and check the description of this episode for more information about Choker. Happy listening. And there we go. So we did a lot. We talked about my love for Sushi Mayo. We unpacked what fear means for Black people. And we shouted out some good music, which is Choker. So please check them out. All social media will be linked in the description of Chocolate the Podcast, specifically in this episode or the overall podcast description. And make sure you like, rate, review, and subscribe to Chocolate the Podcast as we will be diving into more topics such as this one in the near future. Also a kind reminder to give a smile or a hug to a loved one today. Remember that every day is a challenge for some people, but it doesn't really have to be when you're loving others. With that, I bid you adieu. I'll see you next time on Chocolate the Podcast. See ya.